Hey, this is Jordan from Jetty. Last week, Carvel and Antique Naked Soul were at South by Southwest. They talked music and podcasting, and they performed the show live on stage. It was really awesome, and we're really excited for you to hear it. Here it is. Welcome back, everyone, to the TuneIn Live stage from South by Southwest. We've been live streaming a whole week of great podcasts. And this afternoon, I'm pleased to introduce Closer Than They Appear. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, so uh, I, uh, I guess before I get started, I'm going to introduce a clip from our show that uh, our first episode, we had a gentleman, a good friend of mine named Mahershala Ali, my old buddy, um, the only man in the world who uh, is uh, more handsome and awesome than I am. Uh, he doesn't want to appear in public with me because I make him look bad, he says. It's, no. But uh, I was really, we were really blessed and lucky to have him on the show. And um, we, I did an interview with him for GQ and we became <clears throat> friends through that process. And I wanted to have him on the show and talk a little more deeply about things that he doesn't talk about a lot publicly, but was willing to talk about on our show. And so here's a, one clip that we're going to share uh, from that conversation. I can remember a kid who I was hanging out with who was a real close friend of mine. And then one time, this is early, I don't know, this is like 83 or something like that. We get some messages on our answer machine. This kid, Mike, and his sister and his sister's friend calling me the N-word, joking around and giggling. And my mom told me I couldn't play with him anymore. I had a lot of fun over Mike's house. Like, he had, like, you know, <laughs> right, right. Coleco Vision, right, and right. like, we would do sleepovers and have cereal and eat all this crazy stuff and just have a blast and be up all night. But just something he said really clued me in consciously that there was something that he could say to me or a white kid could say to me that would affect me, but there really wasn't something that I could equally say to them to elicit the same response. Wow. I or we as a people were different because I couldn't I couldn't come back at a white kid. And that way I felt inferior. Because there's no history behind it. So like that right. that's the thing is because I think a lot of people are like, well, if you call me a hunky, that's like the same thing. Or if you but like not really because there's not this whole history behind it. And in some ways that's the thing I think is so weird about being that age mm. is that you're not just introduced to a situation you're suddenly introduced to generations upon generations yes. upon generations of meaning and you yes. don't know yet what it is thank you um so what we were my like i said my name is carvel wallace and I, i'm a writer and now i guess a podcaster based in Oakland, California, and through um, uh, choices not entirely of my own, I end up writing a lot about race because race demands to be talked about. And uh, I have other interests, and sometimes I get to write about those things, but more often than not, I, I have to keep approaching this topic because this country continues to need this topic approached. So when we, uh, when Al Jazeera, uh, came to me and said that they were starting a podcast channel, an audio vertical, and they wanted uh, to launch with something. We had a lot of discussions about what that would be. And the thing that felt most clear to me was that um, it was that year when they when I first had those conversations, it was around June, summer of 2017. And it had become clear to me that in the last year, something had shifted for a lot of people. Not for everyone. The country didn't change. Um, but for a lot of people, something shifted. And it wasn't new material was introduced to America. It's just that the weight of that material was now redistributed. Different people were now holding the weight of this country's history. And from my observation, that was making a lot of people freak out. 
personally, spiritually, internally. Relationships were ending. People were having falling outs with their siblings. People were freaking out. That was happening in my own life. That was happening in the lives of people around me. And so I felt that what we wanted to do was figure out some way to encompass all this stuff into some season of a show where we could talk about it. And what we ended up with was a combination of um, interviews with people around a central question. And that question is, how far has this gone? Is it too late? Can this country actually go forward together? Because once we realized that we didn't know the answer to that question, and that the answer to that question was a terrible and frightening one, at least it was a terrible and frightening question to consider, then we knew that we had a story. And um, one of the producers on our staff, Leela Day, who's here today, said, also, we should tell a personal story that can be unfolded over the course of um, eight episodes. And I was like, great, let's go find someone else who has a story to tell. And that someone else <laughs> ended up being me, unfortunately, for me. <laughs> because it turns out I had, I, I had a story that had to do with race in America. And I was not keen to talk about it, but I recognized that it, it, it as a, you know, the, the me that was the character in the story didn't want to talk about it. But the me that's a writer was like, eh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good material. We should probably use this. So, uh, so we did. So what were we trying to do with this show? We were trying to do a couple things. We were experimenting with forms, with ideas, with ways that podcasts can work. We were trying to figure out uh, if you could make essays into podcasts and how you might do that. We took inspiration from everything from Serial to Night Vale to um, You Must Remember This, which is like my personally favorite podcast. Um, and we talked about ways that you could tell a story. How much does writing transfer to to audio and how long can someone stand to hear someone read what they've written and what else must you need to do in order to bring that stuff to life. Um, we talked about mingling personal and political narratives and this is something that I try to do a lot in my work. I always find some way, no matter what I'm writing, I always end up finding some way to like find a link between what's happening on the larger scale and the medium sized scale and the scale of the subject and then the tiny scale that's the writer. And something about this people seem to like, that you can find a recurring theme that goes through um, all these levels of scale. And um, so we thought if there's a way to mix a personal narrative and, and a country narrative, that would be interesting. And we searched hard to find that. And to be honest, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. I don't know 100% that we found that. I mean, the way I tend to write things is I just randomly write everything that I'm thinking. I'm like, someone went to the store and got an orange juice. And then also someone was murdered. And then football. And then I'm just like, I'm just going to keep writing it at some point. All these will be linked. I just don't yet know how. <laughs> but there's a reason I thought of them all at the same time when I was thinking about the topic of this piece. And um, I like that part. I like, the, I like the, um, the, the magic of that, the way that you can find connections that exist, even if you don't fully understand them. That's what the readers do. They understand connections that you don't. And that's why art is a collaborative process. And so I'd be interested. So with this, I'm not sure that we fully found the connection, but we certainly tried. We tried to say that I'm a character, that this country is a character, that the people in these countries are characters, and that we're all going through a similar narrative. And what if we could somehow put all those on the same page? Would that mean something to someone? So we tried all that, and we tried to do it in the context of what we know of as a podcast, which is like, it's a theme song, and then someone says some stuff, and then there's some interviews, and then, you, then someone says something deep and thoughtful, and then some music happens, and then you come back, and then someone says some more stuff. And we, every time we listened to it, it sounded like a podcast, quote, unquote, but this felt like it should be something different. We felt that there was something maybe missing from what we were doing. And that's a lot of what we're here to talk about today. So... When I was asked to do this, I wrote many, 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 many essays. Um, just more stuff than I've ever written. And only like a quarter to a th maybe a, a fifth of it ended up in the piece. But uh, one of the ones that did end up in the piece is something that I wrote. And uh, I'm going to read it to you so you can hear what it sounds like. Um, and what we did to make it sound like something bigger than itself. 
This is one of the first essays in it. I look in the mirror every morning when I wake up. My skin is oily. My eyes are red with sleep. My hair is nappy. My beard unkempt. I look for beauty, but I see a man who is considered less than human. I see a man who has been homeless and hungry, who has slept on park benches and in apartments with no electricity, who has been the only black person in the world, who has been told that he has evil in his eyes, that he is too loud, that he is too big, that he makes white people feel uncomfortable. I look in the mirror and I also see a father and a friend and a magazine writer. I see a man who once worked 26 hours straight, fueled only by coffee, water, and a vape pen. I see a man who prays daily, who makes a list every night of all the things in his life for which he is grateful. His health, having a bed, a job, two children who are alive and beautiful. I look in the mirror and I see a man with a past, living among a people who have a past in a country that has a past. And I see a man who, like the nation that birthed him, has up until today always looked toward the future, tried to put the past in its place. But this is the place for the past. And now, in order to go forward, we have to face it. I look in the mirror and I see a man and a country who has to face it. I'm Carvel Wallace, and this is Closer Than They Appear. I don't want to talk about this, but I have to. In 2016, right after the election, we went out and we got passports for our kids. I mean, we didn't know if we were going to make it here. I know people whose marriages have come apart since then. People who no longer speak to their siblings. Nazis are parading through public parks. We are a nation of 320 million people. And all we know is that we don't like each other very much. Beyond that, we don't really know what to do or how to go forward. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to go forward. So I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask a bunch of people, some prominent, some not so prominent, from all over the country, what we can do. What's the deal with our past? And how can we have a future? And I'm also going to deal with my own past. I'm going to go to places I haven't been to for 30 years, to the small steel town in which I was raised, to speak with the white woman who raised me, my Aunt B. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the story of Aunt B right now. But I want you to think about something. I want you to think about what might be in your own past that you're not facing. And why? Because I have this theory. I have this theory that maybe this whole nation is just 320 million people who all need to talk with someone that they are currently afraid to talk to. So... I just want you to think about that. Thank you. So, so it's my pleasure to introduce Antique Naked Soul. Please come to the stage. Yeah. <laughs> Settle in. Um, so many mics. <laughs> I think you guys, I don't know. All right. <laughs> Pick a mic. Please, we'll use these. Um, so this is what we decided to do to elevate this language as well as we could. We decided to mix it with another language that was elevated, which is the language of music, the language of sound. And we didn't realize till way at the end of the thing, until I think I didn't know until someone pointed this out in like an iTunes review, that every single sound on our podcast was made by the human voice for all eight episodes from beginning to end. 
And that that is something that that's the kind of thing where you're like, you just make a decision because it sounds good, and then someone in the audience tells you what it really means. And I love that. And so, um, so what we decided to do today is talk a little bit about how we tried to mix music and storytelling um, in a way that we think elevates the form. So first, I want to ask you guys, I mean, I wanna, I'm so happy to have you here. We hadn't even met when we did the podcast. We I didn't know. meet until after it was all over. I would we just felt like these, we met. We but... felt like we met, right, because I was up there telling my whole story, and then I would get these sound files, and they'd be mixed in with my thing, and it, I felt like we were like... We became one voice yeah, over definitely. time. I felt like I already knew you when yeah. I met. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like talking so much about myself. Um, but uh, so I guess the first question I want to ask you guys is like, how did you discover this acapella, this beatboxing, this way of making music? What are your earliest memories of it? Well, I could say my earliest memories of it were, you know, listening to what was happening uh, coming out of New York, Beach Street, and Wild Style, mm-hmm. there was always a beatboxer in the show. There was always somebody creating that music. I already knew that beatboxers were boomboxes, yeah. so to be a human beatboxer was that. And I was always real interested in making something out of nothing. Mm. It, was, it felt very human to me. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think um, we actually were got together to do one show. <laughs> and um, afterwards, we were like, that was really dope. Like we should, we should keep doing this, um, and so that's kind of how Antique Naked Soul was formed. Um, there's also um, Jamie Brown and Nagala McCoy that are part of the band too, and we just created all of this sound, and we were so surprised at how hard it was, even for us to realize that it was all vocal when yeah. we were listening to our recordings. So we were like, how far can we push the envelope of this of this acapella world? And then, yeah, so how far did you push it? Like, what, in terms of themes, what kind of stuff do you make music about? Do you make music about something? Yeah, I think we make music about love and we make music about equity. Um, Those are two things that are critically important to us. Um, We want, we make music that is reflective of the world. Um, I think about Nina Simone, who has a quote that says, it's the responsibility of the artist to reflect the times. So if you're not making music that reflects the times, then what are you doing? And so that's how we decided what type of uh, themes were going to surface in our music. Absolutely. We also understood just the power of sound and, and its ability to tell stories, to storytell um, with no lyrics or anything, just creating beds of feeling. You know, we, we understand that. You know, when, when I was in, uh, <laughs> I was like a big musical theater guy when I was growing up, and I had this one teacher who said to me, the reason people sing in a, in a moment of musical theater is because they can no longer find the words to express what they have to say. But that's really what the idea is. And so you're, you know, the character is like, I just feel so, I just feel so, I just feel so. And then that's when the music starts, right? This idea that you can communicate more through music than you can through words. And I wonder if you find that to be true for you guys yeah definitely I feel like um, sometimes you can't there are no lyrics sometimes it's just a feeling sometimes it's just like oh my god you know or oh or a cry or an ah is how you capture that emotion that raw emotion Um, and the lyrics don't do that part Um, even the stuff that we just laid here which has some of our conversation in the loop which is kind of fresh um is uh you know it's just like the pain you can kind of hear the pain inside of the notes even though they're not saying that there's pain there absolutely and once again there's something about the voice and the power of it that shows that work is happening there's a lot of like it's the real work manifested right there in your face it's not coming out of your fingers it's not um coming through an instrument that you're blowing on or tapping on or anything it's immediate and it's transcendent so maybe that covers the next question but like at some point you must have made a conscious decision to not introduce instruments and to make that a thematic through line tell me a little bit about how you came to that and why you why you do that i just want to say um how come you're not calling my voice an instrument? <laughs> That's my question. Now nah, I was just saying we <laughs> we feel like our yeah. voices are instruments. Yeah. Uh, as a beatboxer, yeah. I've been doing it since I was six years old. I am a DJ, 
Um, I am a composer, all these things. And this is my instrument. This is how I play. Yeah. I mean, we wanted it to be, you know, the most human thing in the world is, is singing in terms of like art. Like we that's we've had that forever. So being able to use our voices in that way um, and, the, and the challenge of it, you know, like, can we remake this whole Jay-Z beat? You know, can we remake this whole thing without any instrumentation? Um, it's a challenge that we pursue all the time. Like, I bet you we could do that. Like, we'll just be listening to music. I bet you we could do that. It strikes me as something also having to do with, um, you know, one of the main questions that we face now as a society, when you look at technology, is this hand-wringing, this fear about what are what remains human when more and more quote-unquote non-human things can do human work and so is this pushes us towards a feeling of how long are we going to like have a corner on the market of being human like if there's artificial intelligence and if like and if and if computers can do this and people can think and, and computers can learn and there's also there's that but on the other hand everyone's thinking about the end of the world on some level you can't be living in 2018 without thinking on some level like, man, all this shit might be gone. This this might be the day. Is this today? Like, this might be today. How long have the Simpsons been saying, it's in Revelations, people? Exactly. And I feel like, <laughs> and that's the thing, like, I grew up thinking it was in Revelations, but then I remember reading that people were writing in 1815 that we were in Revelations, and people were writing that in the 1600s, and so, but there's this constant feeling of how do we return to the core of our humanity, and it strikes to me that you're working on you're making work that is utterly and deeply and permanently human. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what we're really interested in is, you know, I'm, I'm an artist with another crew called Alphabet Rockers, and we're doing exactly what we're doing for adults, but for our youngsters. And so we're really together, really about the full human experience. Um, because, you know, we see our youngsters as humans, not just these people that don't know anything. They actually know more than us. We just have to bring it out of them, you know? And so that's what we're trying to do with people that aren't quote-unquote woke or um, ready to actually just tackle things within themselves. I guess we're trying to carve out a space that a robot couldn't do. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we're trying to, you know, like, you can't do this. You can't have soul. Um, and so um, a part of it is that. And I think um, that I think we're going to find that what we need has always been there. And I think that that's a part of um, why this music is so important is because it is all us, even though we have these machines, but we can rock without them. Um, and, and I think we have to always remember that we're human and always remember that um, we don't need these things, that we existed before these things. You know, we existed before cell phones. I don't quite know how now that we have them. <laughs> But, you you know, we had to call people and be like, I'll meet you somewhere and be there on time and not be able to text, you know, I'm learning five minutes late. Like, we have to remember those days. We have to remember that part of ourselves. In some ways, what you guys did by telling, by putting this music behind the stories that we were trying to tell was, like I said before, you, you elevated it in a way that I don't hear a lot when I listen to other podcasts. Meaning, not that it's better, not, not that our show is better, but that, but that there's something about the fact that there is, uh, that there was the, the interplay between music and story is the interplay between two human beings. And I, it feels like you guys were in response to me and I was in response to you. Yes. And I have to give a shout out to the sound designer, Ian Koss, who yeah. isn't here today, but he's the one who put all this together. <laughs> like, Ian. you know, they did their thing, I did my thing, and we didn't, they didn't know how their thing was gonna go with mine, and I didn't know how my thing was gonna go with theirs. And Ian Koss took this work home, and he's the one that put everything together to where we were in true dialogue, we were in true connection. Yes. That's dope. Since we're giving shout outs, we must give more shout outs to, to our other antique naked soul family. Gala McCoy and Jamie Brown, um, they're pretty integral to our crew. Yeah. Um, we also want to include our community because it's about our community. We get a lot of information and a lot from a lot of our inquiry from them. We know exactly what they need instead of 
guessing what they need as let's, far as messaging. Let's talk a little bit about that, about the role that you play in the community, in your community, how you build community around your work, how you view um, your work as having, as going beyond kind of like the walls of, hey, I made this thing and now you should buy it and I'm done here. Tell yeah, me about that. I mean, we're both educators. Um, I used to be a high school teacher, 11th and 12th grade. Um, and now I do uh, music. I run a um, company called Edutainment for Equity and we do edutainment for equity. Um, we do professional development um, for organizations to help them to figure out how to create inclusive work environments. And we use our art and we use our music um, as a part of that. Um, and so for me, creating community is about like, what are all the ways that um, we can step into spaces and make those spaces equitable for everyone who's in them? Because we miss so much, like diversity is important. It's critical um, to our survival. Um, and so we, um, I think we build community in that way. We also, um, we have a youth performance ensemble called Young, Gifted, and Black that's about building up like the self-esteem and self-image of black children in Oakland. And so we're just all about, yeah, Oakland. Yeah. We're just all, <laughs> I had to shout it out. We're just about, you know, um, how do we make this world better? Um, and, and I can't think of anything else to talk about other than like you were saying, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to talk about, yeah. I don't want to write a song about yeah. that, but I have to. Absolutely. Yeah. And guess what? You can't do that alone. You can't do that alone. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care how big of a bullhorn you have. Yeah. You just can't do it alone and you need partners in it. You need more voices to make the mouth bigger. And how better to do that than with collaboration with, um, you know, we like to, we translate because we it's not all music. We translate it to a seminar. We translate it to a workshop. We translate it to so many different things just to get that word out yeah. there. You know? Yeah. You know, this is a time in which a lot of people are struggling with despair, with a feeling that the amount of bad things is so overwhelming and that we can't make any progress with it. And every person that I talked to in the show, I asked them about that. And it was great to hear so many perspectives. We had people who had been doing this work. We had Eva Patterson, who's been doing this work since 19, whatever. She debated, yes. Lyndon, you know, she debated, uh, you know, when she was what, whatever, whatever age she was at that point. Spiro Agnew, she debated Spiro Agnew in 1967 when she was a 17-year-old in Northwestern. And she's been doing this work since then. And the, the feeling of overwhelm and threat and fear seems greater now for a lot of people than it ever has. And I want to ask both of you, how do you deal with that? And do you think that this country can go forward together? Wow. How do we deal with that? Um, I think music is a part of it um, because I can say, like, I could be as angry as I want to be. Um, I can be as joyful as I want to be, as sorrowful as I want to be. And I think when we came out with, we just, we released a single called Burn, um, a video for it actually uh, last month. And it's really been, you know, a conversation starter because it pushes the boundaries. What is it? What are the emotions truly of people who have no other recourse but riot, that have no other recourse but rage? And who's telling their story? <laughs> who's telling that story? Everyone wants to hear the sorrow because it's beautiful. Yeah. But what about the rage? What yeah. about like well, the I sorrow am is angry, also safe too, right? Yeah. Boom. And so we pushed. We wanted to push the the boundaries of that because we're feeling that. Like our lives are at stake when we leave our homes. Our lives are at stake. That's just the reality. Um, and so we put it. We put it there. We put it really deeply in the work. Like I go very very hard for equity in my life as much as I can, as often as possible. And I think that if we are to get there. Um, it's going to be white folks have to be the ones that tap into that hardcore right folks because they're in the same family. It's not like they're just like I got family in Mississippi and I got family in Alabama. White folks got that family there too. It's not different white people. It's the same ones. So I think you have to at that dinner table, you have to push the envelope. You have to say the thing that's uncomfortable Absolutely. for the sake of my life. You know, I was and I, just recently in dinner talking to right. parents about this and um, um, one of the parents had said something about how it's hard to bring this up to their child because it's not something that's like a part of their their life um, this was a white a white parent and I said well it's not it's not but it's a, it's part of someone's life and I have to have this talk I have to have the talk 
with my son, I had to have the talk when he was in preschool. So everybody should be having a talk. It's not going to be the same as my talk with my son, but I think talks need to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, I was also just going to mention that, yeah, you know, how do I get through it? Just like Candace says, man, I, as a black man, um, I can't take my anger out on anything but the page. Like anything but my art. And by the time I get done with the chicken scratch of my anger, it, the beauty is there. But if I respond first from this place, it, it'll be misconstrued. It'll be taken wrong. It'll be stereotyped, <laughs> you know? Right. So, right. You know, I've often, I talked a little bit in the show about how you know, to navigate through this kind of stuff in my experience and the experience of talking to like I, this is one thing that really struck me when I interviewed Mahershala not for the show but for the GQ piece how much of a fine line he has to walk in his life between what he thinks and feels and experiences and what he can say and how he can say it and all the different because he's an elevated figure and I'm just using him as an example all the all the expectations on what he should and shouldn't say and all the real life ramifications for him his family his children his mortgage etc and so it occurs to me that at this time that in a lot of ways to be black in America in 2018 it forces you to have an elevated spiritual and emotional intelligence in order to navigate and one of the things I think is powerful about what your work is, is that we then become, we have this thing that we can share if people are willing to hear it. Absolutely. It makes me think of W.E.B. Du Bois talking about the double, double consciousness. consciousness that we live in. Like you can't, um, you have to really live on a tightrope. <laughs> like, oh, if I say that this way, it's going to be taken a different way. Um, if I if I say it this way, then they're going to be scared and it's going to, you know, and so it's always this negotiation of identity as a person of color in this country. And it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. And I think if it weren't for having a musical outlet for, um, you know, really diving into the work, um, I don't know how we would negotiate what's happening inside the frustration and the sorrow. Absolutely. Because, um, I mean... You can live in that for as long as you want, but progress is never made from that. It's just, so we're trying to find the joy in those, the cracks of joy, the cracks of light in all this sorrow and all of that. And that's like the places where we want to live within our music and within how we message to the community because it's sad. And it's and it's all these things that are heavy, but let's let's get through it with with a little light, a little bubble. You so know? who so who brings you joy? Who makes you who makes you dance? What makes you dance? Hey. Family, uh-huh. my wife, my son, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. my folks, uh-huh. my family, my husband, my family, our folks. You know, we were just jamming today in the kitchen, and it was just so like mm. so much joy, even though we were singing about like really difficult things there was just so much joy in that so I think the art I think family community yeah. um, when we don't you know when we didn't have back in the day we shared you know and I think we got to return to that I need to make you know something I need to make a loaf of bread you got eggs I got flour you got you yeah. know let's put it all together and make something together and that brings me a lot of joy when we can look within and feel good about ourselves yeah yeah, yeah. seeing people together too that's that's one thing not just being together but really like being together how we do like when we're not worried about stuff and when we're not thinking about uh anything like biases or anything like that like those pure moments that that's joy that's the time that's the things we're trying to recreate how do you recreate that you know mm. what i mean those spontaneous moments how do you recreate that mm. for long periods of time mm. Um, you also do international work, is that correct? I do. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, we do a lot of traveling through my company. What Part of our mission is empowering allies. The other part of it is empowering the black communities all over the world to create self-sustaining communities. And so um, we do a lot of traveling. We just came off of uh, the Nappy Tour. I have a song called Nappy that celebrates uh, natural black hair. I don't know if y'all know, but black women's hair is a political like <laughs> landmine. <laughs> Um, there are places that won't hire you if your hair is natural. There, um, you can't serve in the military. Like there are real, true barriers to us um, being able to live 
Um, just being our natural selves, not doing anything extra. Um, and so um, my mission on that trip was to spread the idea of like, love yourself. Let's just be who we are. And we're going to create our own communities to accept us if the world won't. And so we do workshops on business development with artists and how do you use your art to create community um, and networks so that if I need some sugar and you need some eggs and you need some flour that we can trade. Um, and how do we use our art? to mobilize folks how do we get behind an idea all together so we've been to uganda we've been to ghana trinidad tanzania um iran like we've been all over the world with that idea and um and it's been really just empowering for me to see the possibility of what art can do like what how because art is so human it just moves us to to act in a way that nothing else that i've seen um, well, it's interesting because, I mean, we live in, uh, uh, I would say we live in a situation art culturally, economically, politically, that where you always have to convince yourself that art has value and you got to convince other people and then you doubt it some more. You wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, no. And they're right? like, no, no, no. I re- no I re- okay, I'm going to do it. But that every day you have to go through that because, uh, because and that has to do with all these markets. I'm not going to give you my whole Marxist thing right now, but stay after and I will lecture you. But... Um, but uh, and so I wonder if if traveling around the world and being in a, in places with different organization of values has highlighted that for you mm-hmm. that that art does have true genuine value yeah. even though the monetary value isn't always there. Yeah, I think when there is no monetary value, it just make it positions it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, the last when we were in Tanzania or no when we were in Uganda, this network um, that this Ugandan brother from Canada started called the Builder. Lane, like it's a bunch of just artists and creators from all over the world that share with each other, like, like what's going on there? Oh, well, we tried this. Well, what are you, what are you guys doing? And, and all of it though was the art. I mean, that's how I entered the community. They were like, oh my god, Nappy, yes, uh-huh. come, you know. And uh-huh. and so it was like the art is how we heal too. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of trauma in black communities all over the world. And so being able to come together and cry and like shed and is like a part of what the art does. And then it just pulls people in. Like we were in this market that started for um, widows who lost their husbands. Um, and so the whole market is widows selling food and goods and things like that. And we just like started a cipher in the middle of the village and everybody was like, I want to, where are you going? Where can we go? Like, I just want to go where you're going so we can keep this energy going. Um, and so I think it's, it, it's, it's like a magnet. It's like a human magnet mm. when it's, when it's not commercialized, when it's not like you got to sing about this thing and nothing else. I think there's a lot of power in it mm-hmm. still. For the most part, art is, is completely comprised of talent. But then in order to get your art out there, then it takes someone talented enough to say you're talented. (laughs) Right? So it's no no longer about the talent. It's about how talented the person representing representing you is going to speak on your talent, whether that is yourself or not. You know? Um, And that's a vicious cycle, bro. You know? Well, it also makes me... I think because I, I can't help, you know, one of the things that I felt like I arrived at during the course of this show is that no matter what your religious or spiritual beliefs are, you could argue that this country has a spiritual illness. Yes. That that is in some way related to what we're seeing right now. Absolutely. And one of the manifestations of that that I experience is this feeling of, you know, I wrote in, in some piece, I don't remember which piece that I wrote, with that that one of the measures of the health of a country is the extent to which its horrors become unremarkable. That, wow. they, that wow. they happen, but they're unremarkable. And part of what it means to navigate through living in America is that you have to navigate through horrors and you have to put them in a place where you can still go on with your day. Yes. Because if you were to stop and look at every single child, let's say, who died 
as the result of a gunshot and you were to really sit the same way you might sit and listen to this music and you were to really let each one of those deaths mean what it completely means to you it would be hard for you to go to work and you have to go to work because you have to pay rent and you have to pay the mortgage and your boss isn't going to give you time off and so we have created somehow this thing where in order to go forward we have to put these things we have to shove them away and then they happen again and then we have to shove them away and then they happen again and we have to shove them away and Oftentimes I think of that as like a, a credit card bill that you're not paying, but is generating significant interest. And then collections, and then collections <laughs> will come. There, there will be a due date. And one of my theories about what's happening now is that it seems like the, the, the collectors are calling oh, yeah. in America. There's it seems that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but it seems that way. And so I, all that was to say that this thing about art having value, like I, I, I was raised as an artist as the first identity that I embraced. I went to an arts high school. I went to a conservatory in college and I said, I'm an artist, I'm an artist, I'm an artist, I'm an artist. And now that was when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Now I'm 43. And I'm like, I mean, I'm an artist, but don't tell anyone. I feel stupid saying it. And uh, I wonder if what we're doing here can open up the door a little bit for people to, for this to be good enough just because of what it sounds like and feels like. Not because of how much money you earn from it. Not because of how famous you get. Not because of how much of a big deal you become. Not because of whether or not you get a platinum or not, right? But that... This work in and of itself. Yeah. I wonder if that could go towards some of yeah, the spirituality you know, here. It makes me think of the first time we performed Burn. Um, and a person came up to us after this white man came up to us after. And he was like, that song was amazing. And I felt terrified. Mm. Like at the same time that I was like, this is incredible. It was like, yikes. Right. Um, and then we just started talking. You know, we just started having a dialogue. Oh, well, what about it? And yeah, you know, I just felt like I was I was being indicted in a lot of ways, mm. that there are things that I needed to check in myself. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, um, and I think, you know, the president has made some conversations that we couldn't have before very possible. <laughs> People are a charitable, open in a whole a other way um, about that. See, you know? <laughs> that's what I mean. Trying to find the that positive in everything. Things that I couldn't say a few years ago yeah. in conversation, I can say. Yeah. Um, and I think even this show, for that matter, yeah. has, uh, you know, cre- it created a, an opening for us to be like, for real, you can't see that? Mm. Y'all see that? Mm-hmm. And for people to have to say, oh, I actually do see it. Mm. <laughs> In a real way. Mm. And so that's my answer to that. I think yes. Um, and I think that we have to keep making art that challenges the status quo, that pushes the envelope. If we stop talking about it, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm. So true, because then it's just less, it's just more and more carelessness. Mm. Like we're the ones that are out there like leading this charge. And if we stop, Man, does that take a toll on you? I mean, I mean, I think of the canary in the coal mine feeling of being an artist. This feeling that, like, every day you're like, okay, well, I mean, that's what I feel like during the show. I mean, oh my god, my friend, my friends were like, you have to call me every day and tell me about this experience because you have to talk about this with someone. Because I tend to put everything inside. I'm like, I mean, it's just like, yeah, you're gonna go back to your hometown. You're gonna tell all these strangers about your deepest stuff. You're gonna unpack these things. You're gonna do this all in a recording, and it's gonna be preserved forever. And it, I felt like I was, you know, as again, like as a writer, I'm like, well, this is a good story. I tell the story. This is my job. But as a person, it was like 
ripping out your heart and putting it on the thing. <laughs> yes. Ripping it out and putting it on the thing. And um, and it, I felt like it did take a toll. Yes. And I wonder if it feels that way for you guys, too, to go out. Yes. It does. Um, That's yes. why we have to find those moments that are going to uplift us mm-hmm. when, while we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I can't wait to y'all put me out of a job, you know? <laughs> Fire me. Mm, yeah. I'm waiting. It helps to not have to hold it, though, inside, yeah. right? Like, doesn't it feel like at least I'm not carrying this thing yeah. inside? That's a, great, that's a great question. I mean, one of the themes that came up in this show was that sentence. I said it even in this essay. I don't want to talk about this, but I have to. And, I mean, what you just said reminded me of, like, I want to look at every single one of you and say, stop making me have to. Stop making me have to. Like, you have to talk about this, too. Please. It's just... Yeah. (laughs) Please let us distribute the labor. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's very true, right? Like, if we all lift, like, one person can try to lift a couch, but if there were two other people and we just went, boop, and moved it. It'd be easy, right? Um, and I know the discomfort. I, I hear that a lot from folks when I'm doing my equity work. It's so uncomfortable. But um, what's wrong with discomfort? And on the mm. other side of discomfort, there's something there that you don't want to touch. Mm. And getting in touch with what that is um, could save somebody's life. Mm. Whatever it is on the other side of that discomfort that you're avoiding. And we live in that discomfort. Yeah. Every day of our lives, we are on a tightrope of what can I say? What can I not say? Is it acceptable? My hair, my yeah. skin, you know? And, and so uh, just an uncomfortable conversation for me is like nothing compared to an uncomfortable existence. Mm. And I feel like also if we, if we can't do this uncomfortable then it's going to be a stronger word, a way more stronger <laughs> word. <laughs> if we don't, yeah. you know. Yeah, because the point. piper needs to get paid. Yeah. The piper's at the door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to let you at the door. We're going to open up the the floor for questions for the last 10 minutes here. Um, so any questions that you have for me, for Tommy and Candice, uh, or just thoughts, observations, feelings, reactions... We're open to all of it. It doesn't have to be well-organized or well-formed. We've all put ourselves out there in crazy ways. We now invite you to do, to push yourself to do that as much as you can. Thank you so much. This has been really, really inspiring to me to listen to. And your music is absolutely beautiful. And the podcast is amazing. Um, I guess I'm curious for you, Carvel, what has been the most surprising thing in this whole journey for you? A moment where you just totally didn't expect the outcome. Well, I mean, as a result of this show, I mean, I did like reconnect with my estranged aunt who raised me, which was like, I did not, I did not enter 2017 knowing that that was going to happen. There was no way. And, uh, and I, I, she just emailed me this morning, like we're, we're building a relationship, like the one that we should have had this whole time. And, uh, our relationship now consists of, um, emails about the weather and book recommendations. Cause it turns out we like the exact same writers, which is really amazing. And, um, and so we send these emails where I go, yes, I, I, I just read this book. You would like it. And this, and she says, well, I just read this other one. And I thought the last part was a little weird, but I think you might like it. And, um, I, you know, my own, this was a person who was like my mother for four years. And, uh, and then we went apart and my own mother passed away many years ago. And so, um, there's a feeling of having been something of a motherless child for a lot of my life, which I have gotten used to and I've written about and I've like tied it into all kinds of like lofty theoretical things having to do with race and to be removed from Africa and all this stuff. And it works great uh, as like a beautiful metaphor, but also personally it does hurt a lot and it feels uncomfortable. And the, the, I have something like a mother relationship with this person now. And I saw that as a possibility going in, but what I didn't see as a possibility going in was that she also needs a son, 
which is something I didn't think about until I saw her. That she lives in this house in Pennsylvania and she lost her son. And she, like me, has forged on without it. But now she has an opportunity to, to, um, to have that. And I, when we interviewed Eva Patterson, she said that to me right away. That's one of the crazy things about this thing is I got to like tell my personal story to all these random people and get their input. And she said, I, I was like, well, maybe in, this, maybe in, this, in the season of the show, I'm going to go reconnect with this person I'm estranged from. And she said, I said, we haven't talked in so many years. She said, why not? I said, well, I don't know. She said, that's your mother. And I said, well, I don't. She said, that's your mother. <laughs> you know, she wouldn't even let me finish the sentence. And uh, she was strident and adamant about that. And um, uh, that's something that I did not expect to happen as a result of this. And I'm really, really grateful for it. Okay, so this is a little bit of a cheat because I know these guys. <laughs> but I, I want to know, will you tell the story about listening to Closer in Tanzania? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It sounds like a Langston Hughes song. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I I closer in Tanzania. Tanzania. <laughs> All right. We were, um, we had... So found some place to get reception because I have gotten like addicted to listening to the show every week. Like this show is so dope. Um, and we were in our room like this, trying to get reception to listen to Closer. And it was actually that episode. Oh. That was the episode that um, was on. And I was like, she's going in. Like, she's like, that's your mother. That is your mother. And I was like, this is really beautiful. Like, it was just a very beautiful moment to be away um, and to be listening to that. For one, it made me feel really connected to the community here. Mm. And and then secondly, um, for, for some reason, it just really landed for me while I was away. Like, this is what it's about. It's like these conversations. That we don't want to have, you know, um, and even in Africa, you know, there, there, Africa, there are parts of it that were colonized and people were brutalized and there's a lot of trauma. Mm. And um, there's a lot of ways that um, even African people, we uphold um, white supremacy, yeah. we uphold right. those values. And, you know, I get treated better in Africa because I'm lighter skinned than yeah. everyone else. Yeah. And so to be tackling those issues and to be able to tell my folks there, like, y'all should listen to this podcast. It's really dope. Like, I, I, you know, the context is different, but um, it'll give you a window into like what we're, what's happening to us, you know, in the United States. And a friend of mine from Ghana was like, man, y'all are really struggling over there. <laughs> My friend from Ghana was like, y'all are su suffering over there. Yeah. And I was like, dang. Yeah. Like it just blew my mind to even think of myself in that way yeah. while I'm in Africa. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for that question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looks like we're going to start heading towards the end of our time today. Um, I really appreciate everything. Is there? Wait. What? Yes. Great. <laughs> Thank you, non-audience plan who doesn't work for Jetty. <laughs> that was <laughs> no, great. I've never met this guy. But, yes, that's, that's a perfect segue into um, exactly what we're going to talk about next. So, um, so I, one more thing is that Closer Than They Appear is a production of Jetty Studios. And Jetty Studios is um, a new podcast label studio that is making, I dare say, really good work. And the next show that they have coming out is a show called Game of Our Lives. It's, it launches tomorrow, March 15th. That's actually tomorrow. Uh, and Game of Our Lives is a show about understanding the world through its most popular sport, which is soccer or football, depending on where you which are. Which United States sucks at. <laughs> um, but it's, but it's, about, it's about soccer, and it's about much more than soccer. It's about a way to understand the world through the stories and the way people interact with and react to the sport of football all over the world. So it's launching tomorrow. 
It's produced by the same team that made Closer Than They Appear. And you should check it out. You should get out your phone. You should subscribe right now. It's called Game of Our Lives. Um, I want to shout out Bang Data. Yes. Because they're yeah. going to be doing the music for that. I think they're out there today. Hey. But, uh, <laughs> big love. Big love. Yeah. And so, again, one of the stamps that we're doing here at Chetty is like we're finding new ways to like make music really be a part of how we talk about the world, how we understand the world, and how we deliver text. And so that's what we're here for. Um, and Bang Data is also, you guys are performing tonight? At the Flamingo Cantina, what time? 11 p.m. Come check them out at the, nice. at the Flamingo Cantina. That's it. Um, and so uh, with the last few minutes here, in case you haven't noticed, they've been writing some music. And uh, as we've been going, because this is interactive, this is live, this is how we do it. And so we're just going to spend a few minutes listening to this music. Thank you. Thank you. We also are going to re- we are releasing today just for you guys and the you all and the listeners um, called Time Travel. And you can get your free pre-download. It's not even released to the world yet um, at AntiqueNakedSoul.com backslash time travel. AntiqueNakedSoul.com backslash time travel to get your free download. Follow us on all the stuff um, at ANS Vocal Music. We would love to hear from you. Um, and uh, we are just, we're, we're going to be releasing some new music soon in the next couple of months, a new album. So please check us out. Um, and we want to share a song with you all, if that's okay. Um, it's a remake. It's called, um, Is It Because I'm Black by Syl Johnson. And we actually have our other two bandmates in the audience. If y'all can lend us a hand, if you wouldn't mind. Um, <laughs> Antique Naked Soul is the name. Yeah. Antique Naked Soul. Changing is the game. <laughs> we gotta. We try to get this dude into our loop. So how, we will let you guys choose. How, how, you to say. how should on. he contribute to this? <laughs> <laughs> What's Woo! the name of the song? Is it because I'm black? Let me say that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know. Is it because I'm black? Because I'm black. Is it because I'm black? Like that. Yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> is it because I'm black? The dark brown black? shades of my skin. Black. Black. Only I color to my teeth. Flash against my hollow bones that rocks my soul. Looking back over my false dreams that I once knew. Wondering why my dreams they never came true. Something is holding me back. Black, black, 
Like a child stealing his first piece of candy and got cut. Black. Black. Peeking around life's corner somewhere I got lost. Somewhere I got lost. Something is holding me back. Uh-huh. Is it because I'm black? Carvalho Wallace, the show is closer than they appear. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming out. Yeah.